Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Weeping for the Nation. This is going to be our last class here, but I just I do want to say that next week we're going to start a new series called Hold Fast, and uh, we're going to look at the books of 2 John, 3 John, and Jude, the little tiny books in the Bible with a uh, huge impact, and so, uh, so that'll begin next week, but today we're going to look at another very small book of the Bible tucked into the Old Testament, and that is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, five chapters. Uh, if you can, I'll, let, I'll give you some time to find it before we uh, s- talk about it here, all right? <laughs> In the Philadelphia Academy of Fine Arts, there's a statue. It's on display there, and it was carved in the late 1800s by a man named William Story. This carving is of a queen who sits slumped in her chair, um, Her elbow is resting on the arm of her throne that has been broken down and is now in ruins. Her face is an obvious frown. You can see it there, and she's very despondent. She wears, if you look closely, it's hard probably for some to see here, but she wears on her forehead a phylactery, which shows that she is a Jew. The description at the bottom, it says Jerusalem there, but actually in small letters, the actual full description is Jerusalem in her desolation. William Story carved this based on the the book of Lamentations. And this woman, she represents the city of Jerusalem. Uh, A city that was after its desolation and after its destruction from Babylon, was numb with grief, a city that was reduced to rubble and just ruins. But maybe the most interesting detail of this statue and this carving here is something that you cannot see from where you're sitting. It's a tiny little serpent at the, bu- at the feet of the woman. And I had to look really hard to find it, but it hits right in here. There's a tiny little serpent. And that represents sin showing that Jerusalem's destruction was because of the sin that they had let into the city. And it was a result of her disobedience to God. And the, and the book of Lamentations is just that. It is a book of lamenting. It's all about weeping. It's a book full of weeping. It's a book full of crying over the destruction of a once great and powerful and blessed city. But because of their sin, they, God had to bring judgment. Now we're going to look at this little precious book and, and God puts this in our Bible as we finish up this series, Weeping for a Nation. Lamentations, let me just put it this way, is also itself a work of art. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. It's basically a funeral poem. It's a work of art that was inspired by death. And there's lots of poems out there inspired by the feelings that come from the death of something. And that's what this is. Jeremiah chapter five, or Jeremiah is five whole chapters of just pain, sorrow, 
the horrors of human suffering, confession of sin, and then the request from God for relief from all of this pain and all of this, uh, all of this destruction that's happening. It's written by a person who has lived, obviously, through untold tragedy. When you read Lamentations, you can see that this is a person who has been there. Anybody who's ever felt grief, I mean deep grief, you can tell, you can resonate with the author of Lamentations. This person has obviously seen the horrors of war. They've seen mass death. They've seen the, a burning of an entire city a city reduced to rubble. They've, they've seen starvation to the point of parents, listen, this is hard to even say, they saw starvation to the point of parents eating their children. Lamentations chapter four, verses nine and 10. I'm gonna put this up here for you just to show this to you. This is how deep we're talking here. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken, through for, their, for want of the fruits of the field. And look, look at verse 10. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The siege that Babylon placed on to Jerusalem was so powerful and so devastating that it, they even had to turn to cannibalism. This is deep, deep pain. And it's all because of sin. And by the way, before we get launched into the entire book, I just want to point that out, that that is one lesson that we take from the book of Lamentations. When we read it, we have to think, sin always leads to pain. Sin always leads to heartache. Sin always leads to destruction. Sin always leads to death, the Bible says. Death of relationships, death of joy, death of peace, and de even physical death sometimes. It leads to that. But in the center of the book of Lamentations, and I mean the very center, there is a bright beam of God's mercy and hope. And that's what we're gonna look at in just a moment. It's a book that needs to be read. If you're gonna read the book of Lamentations, you have to do it in one sitting. <laughs> if you're gonna get the full effect. It's only five chapters, you can handle it. But I would encourage everybody to do that either today, later, or tomorrow morning, maybe when you wake up. It's poetry. So when you read it, it's meant to be felt. It's a heart thing even more than a mind thing. God wants us to read it and get more out of it, but he wants us to feel it, kind of like that statue. It's a work of art. And once you know some things about it, your heart gets attached. There's something special about it. So to help you get more out of the book of Lamentations, we're gonna do a quick survey. I'm gonna give you an overview, then we're gonna look at a few details, but really it's gonna be in your own Bible reading as you go through the book of Lamentations that's really gonna emerge some beautiful things. And we're gonna look at the hope most of all in just a moment. A couple things here as we look at the overview here. Number one, Jeremiah is the author. Now, Jeremiah the prophet is not mentioned in the book of Lamentations, but internal and external evidence makes it very, and we're not gonna go into all of that, but it makes him very much the most likely human author. Of course, it's God giving him these words, but there's just no doubt Jeremiah is the man. It was written after the siege and destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC. And we know that Jeremiah was an eyewitness to all of that. He was an eyewitness to the incredible pain among the people. Interesting note, there's a small cave in Israel that oh, in a mountain just outside the city that where you can sit in this cave and actually look at the entire city of Jerusalem. If you go and visit there, there's a, there's a little, 
there's that, this cave in the side of this hill, and this cave is called Jeremiah's Grotto. And perhaps that is where Jeremiah sat and wept and wept and wept, wept as he saw the devastation of his hometown and his, his city, Jerusalem. But amazingly, and one unique fact about this, this cave is situated in this hill that is now called Golgotha. It's the place where Jeremiah saw that what sin did to his nation. And it's the same place that 600 later that Jesus would go and die for the sins of that nation. Interesting. Jeremiah, or Lamentations, excuse me, includes deep grief over human suffering. It includes confession of sin. It, con- it includes a cry for relief. And then a glimpse of hope. Now, it's, Lamentations is similar to the book of Job. Job is full of just pain and suffering. But unlike Job, it's, it's about suffering, Lamentations is about suffering because of disobedience. Uh, Job was not because of disobedience, in fact, the exact opposite. And unlike Job also, it's about corporate suffering or national suffering more than personal suffering, although we're going to see Jeremiah's personal suffering as well. And yes, Jeremiah felt the pain right alongside all of his people. Even though he himself maybe was not involved in all the same sins, he felt, he felt it just with them. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, we talk about the sins that we see around us, and we're grieved by all the pain, and we weep over our nation. But just imagine if it was California that God finally decided, I'm going to judge California. I'm gonna, I'm, 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 it's time. I've given enough chances. I've given enough uh, opportunity. I've sent churches. I've sent preachers. I've sent people. But they have not listened. And I'm gonna, it's time for me to do this. And you would know, I mean, all of us, I think, would understand if we had to sit there and watch God do this in front of our eyes and watch the pain that he would cause, it, w- it would not be easy to see. And even though we know it had to happen, I think our hearts would just break to watch the human suffering even. It would be hard to take. And I think that's where Jeremiah was. Even though he knew this is God's plan and what he needed to do, it was still difficult. Now a few other things about Lamentations. Lamentations is written in poetic form. A few ways here. One of them is it's a long line followed by short lines. You see this often in here in the book of Lamentations. So he, he'll give a long line about something and then a short line saying the same thing in a different way. Now what that does is that gives the feeling that the writer is writing something, he's, he's describing his pain, and then in the next phrase, it gets shorter because he's choking up with emotions and he can't quite finish, can't say anymore. So it's this, this, uh, this feeling that he's choking up with emotion as he goes. There's also a lot of metaphors in Lamentations, lots of metaphors and word pictures describing the pain and destruction in Jerusalem, and we'll look at some of those in a moment. There's also something called tragic reversals. One thing is contrasted with something much different. Here's an example. It's actually right in the very first verse, Lamentations 1.1. Look at this verse. Here's what he says. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? That's a reverse. That's a tragic reversal. Now it's empty. It was full of people. How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become a tributary? It's it's a tragic reversal. She used to be so great. She used to be so amazing, this city. But now look at the rubble. Look at what God has brought her to. And then lastly, one of the most interesting things about Lamentations is that it is in acrostic form, following the Hebrew alphabet. 
So we can't see this in our English Bible, but if you brought your Hebrew Bible, which I'm sure some of you did, um, your Hebrew Old Testament, you'd, you'd know this. So there are five chapters. Each chapter, except for chapter three, has 22 verses. That's how many, alpha, that's how many letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And every single verse in each of those chapters starts with another, the, the corresponding letter to the alphabet. So the first letter in each chapter is the first letter of the alphabet, the second is the second letter, the third is the third letter in the alphabet, each chapter does that. Chapter three has 66 verses, and so it's, uh, it has similar layout, but it has the first three verses are with the first letter of the alphabet, the second three are with the second letter of the alphabet, the third three are with the third alphabet, and so on. It is a very artistic book, it is poetic. And then in chapter five, it doesn't quite follow that exact pattern, again, signifying something, and really what it signifies is there was order and it descended into chaos, which itself, again, is just an artistic significance there. So a very artistic book, but here's the thing to remember. This is God-breathed scripture, and I love that because God loves art. Just wanna throw that out there. Sometimes there's no other way to put things than just through something out of the deepest part of who you are. And I think that's what we see here. And I think Jeremiah, personally, as I, we've gone through Jeremiah and I think about Jeremiah, I just think he's one of those emotional artist type people. I just personally think that. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. But I think this was his way of expressing his deepest feelings. And God used that trait. Just in church history, if you're aware of some of that, a man like Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, there's several others who are prone to very deep sorrow. They're, they, they, they struggled with sorrow. And God used that though, that I think they were very emotional artist type people as well. And God used that though in their preaching, their teaching, maybe music, if they're a writer, things like that. Now real quick, I wanna think about this I want to ask the question, why do we need a book of weeping in the Bible? Why do we need, need a miserable book in the Old Testament? A couple of answers, I think. Number one is because we are emotional people, and we shouldn't ignore deep grief. I don't think God wants us, if we're going through something, if it's something that's very, very, very difficult, God doesn't want us to just shove the emotions aside, ignore them, act like they don't exist, I don't think that's healthy and I don't think that's what God wants and I think he shows that to us in the book of Lamentations. Go ahead, grieve, grieve. Go to the depth of that grief and, we, and when you read the book of Lamentations, you see Jeremiah at the very bottom, some of the things he's saying and we're gonna look at it in a moment, you would almost think are blasphemy but you know they aren't and that's the other thing because we need to know how to grieve without becoming hopeless. Go ahead and go to the bottom of that grief, grief, but understand, read the full book of Lamentations, don't stop, because there's hope. And there's always hope for the believer, always. It's a pattern, this book is a pattern for healthy grieving, and it's a pattern for handling painful adversity in the right way. It's how a godly man deals with really, truly deep pain. And if all we had was, was the account of Jerusalem's fall, and, and that was it, we just saw the huge destruction in the book of Kings there, and we just see how they're all wiped out. Well, that would be fine, that would be God's choice. But God didn't choose that. He also wanted us to see them dealing with this whole destruction as real life humans, 
with real life emotions and the aftermath of all that. It's honest, it's raw. We should be able to open our hearts and express our deepest feelings to the Lord, but we also need to know how not to stay there. God doesn't want us to stay there the rest of our lives. That is not what he wants, that is not healthy. And lamentation should teach us to preach to our emotions. If we're in the down in the dumps, if we're in the depths of despair, then we need to preach to our emotions. Emotions are something that, that need to come in line with our faith. Amen. They need to come under truth. Don't believe everything you feel. Amen. So that's what, chap- that's what this book is about. And in chapter three, it begins with suffering just like the rest of the book. But then right in the very middle, again, as I said, the very middle, meaning there's two and a half chapters before and there's two and a half chapters after, that right in the very middle, there's hope. And it's in the form of God's character and God's word. And it's another picture for our Christian life that right in the middle of your despair and right in the middle of your destruction and your depression and your discouragement, right in the center, that's where Jesus is. Jeremiah is speaking of himself here as we'll look. You'll see lots of metaphors in this chapter. And as we read this, I'm gonna, I ask you, have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like Jeremiah here? Read along with me. Lamentations chapter three, starting in verse one. I am the man, he says, that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also, When I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. Real quick, do you ever feel like God is shutting out your prayer? Lord, are you even hearing me? I'm praying. That's how Jeremiah felt. Verse nine, he hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He he was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. Wow, what a feeling to feel like God is a bear and a lion waiting to attack me. That's saying something deep. That's some raw feelings. Lord, I feel like you're just waiting to pounce. Verse 11, he hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones and covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Now there is no misunderstanding here what Lamentations is all about. 
You read it, you understand it very, very quickly. This is pain, this is affliction, this is misery, this is bitterness. This is deep, deep, deep lamenting. Now let's go home and pray, all right? Uh, th- wasn't that encouraging to everybody? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is not God's final word. This is not God's final word, and it never is. Let's look at the hope at the center of it all. Verse 21, here's where it begins. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. (laughs) Hope, he says here, and you and I know that anybody who's in sorrow, hope is everything when you're in deep sorrow. You just need hope. I think it was the Portuguese hundreds of years ago when they were sailing. They had a, there was a south of the seas there as they were sailing out. There was a place, there were just so many, so many storms. And they called it Cape of Storms. And and so many ships would get torn there. But as soon as some uh, more wise and brave Uh, navigators started to go through there. They changed the name. They went through there safely, and time after time, they they were able to go through. And you know what they named it? They said the Cape of Good Hope. The Cape of Good Hope. Because once you go through something a few times, you begin to know, okay, okay, all right, there's still hope. There's still hope. We can go through this. And it's because of the Lord's mercies that we can go through these things. So Jeremiah calls something to remembrance here. He says, I call to mind this hope. And I remember this, the character trait of God, which is mercy. It says the Lord's mercies. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It's because God is a merciful God that he will not utterly consume, even though he may discipline, and he will discipline. The Hebrew word here is hesed, which means great love or great mercy. You could translate it either way. But this mercy and this love in God's nature leads him then to another Hebrew word here, ramim, which is compassion. Compassion, this word ramim, is derived from the Hebrew word rehem, which is womb, speaking of Mother's Day. God's compassion is like a mother's womb. And even better news than that is that his mercy and his compassion never runs out. It's new every morning. We never have to worry. Have you ever thought about this? You can go to bed tonight, not even worrying if, that God is gonna be moody tomorrow. God's, he's so moody, he, he might not love me tomorrow. He might not be merciful tomorrow. He might just fi- decide, finally decide I'm done with you. You've been doing all these things daily, and you're, you're making me sick, I can't take it anymore. You're done. But that's not how God is. It's the same loving mercy every single day without fail. The mercy of the Lord is new every morning. There's a new batch of his mercy every single morning. You wake up and you say, Lord, thank you that today is still, you're still a merciful God. Great is his faithfulness. He is faithful in that. Remember who this is written to, the book of Lamentations. It's written to a sinful bunch of people like us. Just think of that. Just as you know the sun will come up, you know there's a whole batch of mercy for you tomorrow. These verses here inspired the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
by Thomas Chisholm in 1923. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Jeremiah remembered that. He recalled that to mind, and it put his heart at ease. Jeremiah continues, look what he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. We're not only to find hope in the character of God. When you're in the middle of despair, it's the character of God, the, the attributes of God that really speak to our hearts. He's a God of mercy and I know that and so I can rest but it's also not just his character traits, but he himself, God himself. I wait on him, the soul that seeketh him. Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion, in verse 24. The Jewish people would always talk about their portion. You get, we get into the land, we all have our inheritance, this land, this land, you get that land, you get that land, that's your portion, that's your portion. But Jeremiah says, everything has been destroyed. It's all gone, all those portions are disappeared. But it's okay because God is my portion. I don't need all that, I just need God. If you're in deep grief this morning or at any time, this is a great comfort. If you have nothing else, the Lord is good to them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. There's a story of a young pastor I'll never forget. He, he described it, he said, my whole family it was his wife and his young children were driving. They got into a, a car accident and all of them died. And this young pastor went home and he really did not know what to do. He was in complete despair. And here's where his, here's where his words just have rung in my mind for years and years and years. He said, the Bible became my best friend. Nobody could speak words like those words. And he said, I became such my best friend that I took my Bible and I would sleep with it under my pillow at night. It was my best friend. Because in those days, in those moments, nothing else matters than God and his word. There is really nothing else. When everything you love has been ripped away, it's only God and his word that can bring real hope. And that's what Jeremiah says, my soul only seeks you, Lord. And then Jeremiah sees the good in suffering. He sees the good in suffering. Verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in such a difficult situation that you said something like this? The only thing I can do is trust the Lord people say, how did you make it through? You say, I don't know, the only thing I can do is just trust, I, I have nothing else. There's no, nothing else. Jeremiah says, it's good to be in that place where your hope is the salvation of the Lord, where the only hope you have is to quietly wait for the salvation of God. I just have to wait for him to do it, where God has to come through because you've got nothing else, where you bear a yoke when you're young and you haven't developed into your full spiritual maturity. 
and you're trying to figure this thing out and you're put into this place where you just have to cling on to God and you grow in that, those moments where you're forced to sit alone and stay quiet before the Lord and just accept God's will in the moment and don't complain to others about everything that's happening in your life. But you just take it and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna wait on you and I'm gonna quietly look to you. These moments in life that we, we have like this have a way of making spiritual adults. Jeremiah sees the good and suffering. It brings us to a place of waiting on the Lord like nothing else can. It leads to more fervent prayer in our lives. It builds our spiritual muscles. We become more fervent in prayer. It leads us to greater heights of faith. It leads us to a new seriousness about life. Have you ever seen a person, a young person, who's been through a lot in their young, young life? They've been through tragedy and they've learned to hope in the Lord. Even though the youngest person, there's a different, there's a different countenance about that young person than, than, than people who never have to go through anything. There's just something deep that happens. And Jeremiah says it's good for the, for the young to bear their yoke in their youth. It leads to a new seriousness about life. It leads to more compassion for others. It makes us more effective as ministers of grace. We think about people. We have eyes for others who are hurting. Suffering has a way of making us spiritual adults. And there's just, and it's just a few, these are just a few ways that God grows us through suffering and why it's a good thing. He may be doing something like that in your life right now. God may be working something and chiseling something and building something in your life. But then Jeremiah describes what submitting to the silence and trusting the Lord and suffering feels like. Verses 29 and 30 just kind of describe those verses we just read a moment ago. He says, he putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be, there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He just gives it to him. He is filled full of with reproach. That's fine, just take it. I'll take, I'll take the beating. Jeremiah, I submit to the work of God. I submit to what God wants to do. I submit to the pain because through this I know God can work even though it hurts. And this, is, and this he is confident in in verse 31, look, for the Lord will not cast off forever. <laughs> I don't, th this is one way I wanna say it. God always ends with mercy. The Lord, look, will not cast off forever. He always ends with mercy for those who humbly ask. The ending is mercy if you'll come to him and ask him, always. Verse 32, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. God does not will to do this. It is not his will. He doesn't want to afflict. He doesn't want to grieve people but he must at times for our good. Years ago, our daughter Lindsay, she was uh, three years old. And uh, two years old, thank you. <laughs> Get my facts right. She was two years old. She had a sickness and every single day she was vomiting, Diarrhea, <laughs> sorry for all that. But every single day, this little two-year-old, she could keep nothing down, day after day after day. It got so bad to the point of where she, even water, 
she could not keep down even the slightest little bit of water. Boom, right, right out. So we knew she had something going on. We took her. They admitted her to the hospital. And they knew they had to start an IV for her to really help her get back to health. As they were in there, they said, they told us as parents, they said, I know you want to stay with her, but we have to give her an IV, which means we're going to have to put that needle in her. And uh, we have to ask the parents always to step out. Because when they're this age, we have to strap them down to be able to do this. And it's going to be hard for them, and it's going to be hard for you. And so you need, we're going to ask you that you step out. And I, w- I remember standing there for a moment, not budging, <laughs> and thinking, I don't know about this. And, uh, and then I looked at my daughter, Lindsay, over in the hospital bed, just a two-year-old ha- who had been, just not been able to keep anything down, so she was skinnier than she had ever been at that little moment, and, and just so pitiful and sick. And she looked at me with her eyes, like, <laughs> you know, at least for me, I was th- she was telling me, Dad, don't you dare leave me. <laughs> don't you dare walk out of this room. And I think I was weeping more than her at that moment as I stepped out. I stepped out of the room so my daughter could be tortured. (laughs) Why would a father do this? Why would a father leave his child to be put into pain and strapped down and suffer? It was for her good. And I was thinking this is the way the Lord works in our life. We may feel that God's walked out on us. God, you've walked out of the room. Where are you? but it's only for a moment. And it's only so that God can do a greater work. So that God can allow something, even if it's something that we we probably, we do deserve. But he'll allow it so that he can make something better of us. I just want to say that God is that way. God is a merciful God. He's full of mercy, full of compassion. Let's end this real real quick by putting up uh, the last few uh, outlines here, and if you can fill in the blanks. Here's what we've learned. Jeremiah's comfort came from God's unchangeable traits of mercy and compassion. His God's word that though he punish, he will not consume. And God himself is his sufficient p- portion. If you need comfort, those are the things you can rest on. And then l- lastly here, the benefits of suffering. It's good to be forced to quietly wait on the Lord. It's good to be forced to find hope in the Lord, and it's good to bear the uh, yoke in our youth. That's what Jeremiah told us in the book of Lamentations. And one more statement. Jeremiah learned that suffering never lasts forever. God always ends with mercy. For those who trust him, for those who ask him, for those who come to him and say, Lord, I need your mercy. I have sinned. And I humble myself before you. I need your mercy. I need your mercy. He'll never, he'll never look away from a person like that. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.